Start the clock. Welcome to the Cloister Bell podcast. This week, Rob and I will be discussing my favourite Peter Capaldi episode, Mummy on the Orient Express. The TARDIS Cloister Bell. Imminent disaster. The Cloister Bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Liam, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Rob. How are you doing, Rob? I feel wonderful. (laughs) Excellent. Glad to hear it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we're back. So, is that your favourite, Capaldi? Favourite all time? Or just one of the faves? Uh, I think... <laughs> I feel like I put on the spot I'm overthinking this time. Yeah, I would say, yeah, it's my favourite Capaldi episode. Um, now that I... Although I haven't said that, you know when we were reviewing Amy's Choice, and I was going, you know, it's my second favourite uh, Matt Smith. And then we were recording the podcast, just like... Eh, it's not all that good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> there are much better ones. But no, I think uh, Mummy on the Express, I probably, yeah, I think it's safe to say, I think it is my, my favourite. Yeah. We're probably confusing the listeners. It's like every week it's like, this is Rob's favourite, this is Liam's favourite. <laughs> we just love them all. Well, no, I mean, I don't think we're confusing the listeners that much. Obviously, we're following a pattern. What One week it's Rob's, uh, yours, and then the following week it's mine, and so on. Yeah. <laughs> it's not complicated. <laughs> Unless the unless not. the listeners have uh, have been confused by by the format, and I've just inadvertently called them all stupid. But anyway, no, I, th- I think it's I think it's fine. Hi, <laughs> listeners, how's it going? Uh, oh, it's uh, it's Galileo's birthday today. Just read that. Ah, oh, that's cool. And yeah. um, <laughs> and on the opposite side of that, uh, on the day that we were recording uh, on Twitter. I just had a quick glance at tr- Twitter and something was trending on it. I just got bloody hell, didn't expect that. Warriors of the Deep was trending on Twitter. Amazing. It I'm may- not surprised. Yeah, it turned out it was because there's a new uh, toy set that was announced. And it's it's Warriors of the Deep themed. Um, but it was just... It was just surprising <clears throat> to see that story trend on Twitter. Yeah, it's unreal. <laughs> Um, you know what else was trending? Hmm. Mummy. Oh. <laughs> it was meant to be. Uh, although, having said that, sort of like uh, a story which is regarded as crap and mummy, and then we're reviewing Mummy on the Orient Express. Maybe it, mm. maybe it is linked. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, been up to much? Um, No. Bit of work. Um, no. <laughs> Not up to much else. Um, oh, before we move on from Galileo, I've just remembered something. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter got a telescope for her birthday before the new year. Oh, very nice. Um, yeah. And so straight away, I was look, I was out planet hunting. Um, so I found, uh, I had a look at Jupiter, mm-hmm. and I could see the four Galilean moons. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's like they were so vivid. Th- four tiny pinprick dots mm. making spaced out in a line. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I know. That does sound good. When was this? Yeah. 
Oh, this was in November. I'll have to get a picture and I'll put it online because uh, her telescope's got a, a mount for your phone. Oh, right, okay. Um, so I'll have to have, have a go at that. Mm, all the more cons. That sounds really good. Yeah. yeah. I want to go stargazing now. I haven't done that in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I think, a few of the times I've been out camping up in Northumberland, mm-hmm. um, it's... I've never seen anything like it because we we don't get the best view of the night sky here. Mm. Um, in the times I've been out in the middle of nowhere, no lights, and the band across the sky looks so colourful. Yes, yeah. You just don't quite see anything like it. Yeah, I remember when I was at university, me and a group of mates, we'd, we'd been out all, all, all the night and we were just going on a completely random drive. To this day... I don't know where it was, but it was in the middle of nowhere. There was this the remains of this old fort. It was in the countryside and everything like that. There was a farm in the distance, and it was just, and because there was no light pollution or anything like that, the sky was amazing. Uh, you know, you were seeing all the, the stars and uh, colourful. You were seeing shooting stars whiz past, and then uh, we were there for hours. And then uh, sad, really, isn't it? Yeah. Don't get that. Yeah, I thought you were saying. <laughs> I thought you were saying me doing this was sad. You're so sad. <laughs> uh, and then it was sad. Yeah. Um, and then having the the sunrise, and then the, the, just seeing the sky completely split down the middle, where one half's daylight and the other half still night. It was uh, yeah, very nice memory. I want to do that again. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Stargazing. Stargazing's cool. Should do it more. Stargazing's cool. Hmm. Um, are trains cool? Uh, depends on the train. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is the metro cool? Uh, I wouldn't know. No, no, it's not. <laughs> not to us. No, the, maybe the, to someone who's never seen one before. No, but for those that don't know, Newcastle, uh, Newcastle uh, the metro is basically the Newcastle equivalent of no, the London Underground. Um, but not as good with and with constant delays. Yeah, and threats to your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, like from where I am, I could go kind of either way to get to yours on the metro. Hmm. And there's like the dodgy way around that I don't take. <laughs> <laughs> I know which direction you mean. I remember um, this was years ago. I had a uh, I had a job where I was reliant on getting the metro, uh, and it was to the airport. So from Jesmond to the airport, people from Newcastle are just going where you're on about. It's uh, what should have taken probably twenty minutes on the metro. Oh, the um, it was getting it was getting embarrassing because every day I was, and this went on for ages, just constantly late because of the amount of delays, and then I would be leaving the house. You know, a lot earlier than I normally should have, in order to try and compensate. But it didn't matter. There was um, delays, cancellations. I came to hate the metro after 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 that job. It was just oh, yeah. And you think with it, with somewhere like Newcastle, which is smaller and less complicated than London, it shouldn't be that much of a problem. But when you go to London and they've got this, you know. Um, a much more complicated system over this, you know, this huge metropolis. Um, 
system so yeah. smooth. And in fact, because when you're in London and you you, you see people uh, running to catch the tube, and then yeah. and they minute uh, and and they miss it, and they're, and they're going off on one, and you're going, why are you stressing out? There's another one literally in a minute. <laughs> I can understand in, in in Newcastle though, because if you miss it, uh, especially if you're going, you know, trying to get to the airport, um, you know, it's like if you miss it, yeah, uh, you could be waiting twenty minutes easily for the next one. That yeah, I can cause get because it's because going to the airport, you might you might get ones for the coast. Yeah, because alt- uh, so for oh. the, so we have um, we have two metros. Uh, one will head into the direction of the airport, and then you'll have the other one, which basically runs around to uh, Newcastle all the way around to um, to the coast and back. Oh no, actually, we have got three because we got uh, we got one that takes you to Sunderland. Oh yeah, and beyond. Yeah, yeah, know. but uh, no one, no one, <laughs> no, no one talks about that. Um. <laughs> oh yeah, um, I'm. I, I like that they've got an app now that tells you um, how late it's going to be. The, the, yeah, <laughs> I remember I used to have to go online and find the timetables on like an old phone as well. So there's been plenty of nights where I've been like blind drunk in big market, and it's like going up to strangers like, "Can you read my phone, please, and tell me when the next metro is?" <laughs> oh my God! Right, okay. Um, but now it's a, it's a bit easier because the app is a bit more visual like you can you can read it better mm-hmm. when you've had a bit of drink one of the things i find funny sense. is um there's a parody metro twitter account which just takes the mick out of how the metros run mm-hmm. and the official metro follow them all right <laughs> and i've liked that you know i'd like their tweets of just basically you know liking mm-hmm. someone taking the mick of how crap the system is anyway yeah yeah oh hold on hold on Is talk of the metro driving you to drink? What are you drinking? Yes. Um, Glen Moray single malt Scotch whiskey. Oh, very nice. I've got a glass of water. Healthy. Ah, water. Healthier life sales are available. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, well, I think that's enough talk um, about the metro. Uh, sorry, what were we going to say? Uh, but well, I don't think we moved on from trains, though. Oh, no, 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 we didn't. No, no, no. Um, you know Harry over at the Who Can Convince You podcast. Oh yes, uh, I was listening to their recent one, which I was really, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and uh, God, their podcasts are long, <laughs> which they mentioned yeah. in their podcast. So I thought I've got to mention it because they are long, but they they are incredibly entertaining. And they were yeah. talking about Blake Seven and uh, prog rock and films. So I was in my element listening to it. And then they mentioned. Oh, a bit about this is. Um... With uh, the guy from the Quinary podcast. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've only listened to a bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, he's got a Blake Seven podcast uh, called the, the Monoid Podcast. Um, yes. I went, oh, I need to listen to that because I, I love Blake Seven um, mm. as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that was. It. Anyway, sorry, Rob, I interrupted. What were you saying? Um, well, Harry shared a story, a train story. Um, I did ask. Uh, weird or strange experiences on trains um nothing interesting he just said paying 200 pound for a ticket to get on a train to london walking on the wrong train going to the same place but nobody checked his ticket anyway oh Oh. yeah that must have stung 
Yeah. Um, Matt from uh, neither the time nor space pod hmm. um, said his was getting on a train at Leeds and the conductor confirming it was the York train when he asked. But Matt had meant, is it going to York? And the conductor said it was coming from. Um, long story short, an impromptu trip halfway to London. <laughs> right, okay. Have you had any weird experiences on trains? Um, and that's weird experiences. Uh, well, I remember what this is going back on the to the metro. Uh, this was years ago. I remember there oh, was. Oh, we're talking metro. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so, so where do we like, begin? You know, the, the, it's really stretching the definition of a train, I suppose. But um, so many tales. So so many tales. I remember one years ago, just um, this random scruffy guy uh, getting on and starting to dance and play the harmonica. I'm like, right. I think this could could be me until you said harmonica. <laughs> so, <laughs> No, <laughs> Rob got on the metro once and was playing the harmonica and dancing away and getting on each other's nerves. That was weird. And then, um, yeah, uh, no, I was going to tell you another story, but I thought that that's much more harrowing and uh, a bit creepy, yeah. actually. So I won't. So there was that. Uh, uh, I once bumped into and chatted to Giles Brandreth on a train down to London once. Hmm. <laughs> so for those that don't know. Giles Brandreth was is a former conservative um, MP. I think I think we're going back into the nineties at that uh, that point. Uh, but he, you know, he he does a lot of panel game shows and um, and and radio and has a reputation of being a bit of a raconteur. He is actually quite funny. So I bumped into him and ended up having a, a brief chat. And um, he was telling me how he because uh, he was travelling down from Edinburgh to London. And he was about, uh, and as soon as he was arriving, he was telling me all this. As soon as he was arriving in London, he was then going to go on holiday with his wife to Paris for a few days. And because he'd been to Edinburgh, it was the, um, it'd been the Edinburgh Fringe, and they just recorded uh, an episode of um, Just a Minute, uh, which is a very popular BBC Radio 4 comedy panel show. Uh, And because I was in my. I think I just turned thirty at that point, uh, maybe slightly older. Because so I'm, I'm relatively young. Uh, he thought I didn't know what just a minute is, and he was explaining me, explaining me what this radio show is. And it's like I'm listen, I listen to it. It's like yeah, yeah, I know what it is. So I remember that. Um, do you remember a f- three years ago, 2019, when there was a massive power cut, acro- uh, that the whole trains, like from the ho- the whole of England, went went down. No. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, that happened. Uh, so this was back in uh, this August 2019. So um, I had a few days to spare, uh, and I thought, well, I'll go down to London. Uh, oh, that was it. It was the 50th anniversary of the Abbey Road uh, Beatles album. So Abbey Road Studios opened up, and you had, if you were able to buy tickets, you could go in to actually have a tour and go into the studios and everything. Like, right, right, I'm doing that. So I went down to London for a few days, did that, visited. Uh, uh, tape written and, and stuff and then the day I was due to come back all the, the trains and it was the whole of England just the power lines went down uh, so I was trapped in London and um, I had to it, 
kind of a desperate state because that was a Friday and the Sunday uh, I was flying out to Florence uh, and so it was just like, how long are we going to be trapped in Lo- uh, London for so that happened oh god um and it, it was funny because waiting in King's Cross, you were seeing all the signs of just all the trains cancelling. And then it was announced over the Tannoy system that uh, the, there'd been a massive power outage. So then everyone, there was just a mass exodus of people. Um, desperate to, right, just to get a hotel. So I didn't muck about, quickly got into a hotel just. Um, and... Th- and then was and then ra- was ringing up the tray lines to to find out what was going on. But what had happened was, it had happened so quick when I was running ringing up the train lines. Um, they didn't actually know that all the trains had been cancelled. All right, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going well. All the trains have been cancelled. Went no, they're not. They're on the system. Uh, you'll be able to get a train back up to Newcastle. Went no, we can't. So that was just like I know more than you do. You're not helping. Um, they should be ringing you. Yeah, exactly. Stupid people. Anyway, um, so there was that. I managed to get they managed to get the 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 power back on, um, and I got a train back up at six o'clock the following morning. Um, and then bumping into other people, and then were sharing our stories. And then someone was telling me that they'd uh, they managed to get into their hotel, get a room, and paid because it was it was just a, a cheap hotel. So I think it was like twenty quid for the night. And uh, they ended up having a chat and they were explaining what the situation was to the hotel owner. And then when they served the next person, uh, suddenly the rooms cost £60. So, oh, right. Yeah, so I think all the hotels near King's Cross made a lot of money that day. Um, Ka-ching! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about you? Any weird stories about trains? Hmm. <clears throat> I remember I was coming back from Edinburgh to Newcastle I I used to go uh, up to Scotland every year to see family in the summer holidays Mm -hmm. and um, I used to love going on the train as a kid because you get the big booth seats and Mm. going along like the restaurant car at the front and getting food (laughs) the the toilets with the automated doors (laughs) so cool Um, oh god I've had I've had problems with those. Did you forget to lock the door? No, no, it was. I didn't forget to lock the door. I did tell the door to lock, but it didn't because it was electric, it was uh, electric, and it decided to, uh, <laughs> to 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 unlock itself and open the door while I was taking a <laughs> taking a piss. Just oh god, everyone's just seeing oh. me standing here with my cock out. Uh, <laughs> just <laughs> sorry, listeners, but worse. you know it's just ah. Oh bloody things just it should be manually locked then that way there's no problems (laughs) sorry Rob carry on Um, so I was desperate to get home we pulled into Newcastle station Mm -hmm. then the train started to reverse because there was a bomb scare oh bloody hell and and then we were kind of stuck stuck outside for a couple hours that was a bit annoying when was this? The nineties or something? Yeah, it would be late nineties. Yeah. What, what did they think it was the IRA or something? I don't know. I just thought, all oh, right, okay, and I didn't question it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, uh, you know Kenny that we might be getting on the podcast in a good few weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he did say on Twitter um, when I did I tagged you in the Gareth Thomas birthday tweet. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd said. Uh, he met Gareth on a train 
as he headed back home after meeting his first wife for the first time. Yes, I read that. I thought that was great. You know, you've uh, you've you met your wife and uh, you met Blake. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's really. Uh, I would have. That would have been great to meet uh, to meet Gareth Thomas. One of the things as mm-hmm. well is uh, I would have loved to have met Paul Darrow, mm-hmm. who's sadly no longer with us. Is it last year? They passed. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. He did a fair amount of the audios, did he? Yes, yes, he did. In fact, because one of the things that uh, they were talking about on the Who Can Convince You podcast that, uh, that I was listening to when they were talking about Blake 7, they, they also were talking about Big Finish. And I had to agree with um, what they were saying, which was I much prefer the Blake 7 Big Finish audio. Uh, there's just something about that I really, really like the stories. Um, and Opposed to the Doctor Who audios? Yeah. Or the, right, okay. I mean, that isn't to say that the Doctor Who... I mean, I haven't listened to an awful lot of the Doctor Who audio ones. That isn't to say that they're awful, but they don't they don't, they don't, don't engage me as much as the Blake 7 ones have. Um, <clears throat> but That's yeah, yeah, but Paul Darrow did quite a lot of those. And I, I like them because they had the original cast audio adventures where they got all of them. And then you had the things called the Liberator Chronicles, uh, where you had one or two of the members um, tell a particular story. And they're really good as well. Um... So I would certainly recommend uh, the Blake 7 Big Finish stuff. Yeah. I'll have to watch them as well. Because I've seen them, but it's kind of all fragmented in my head. Mm-hmm. I did start, um, I think it was last year, I started on BritBox then. Just kind of forgot about it. All right. Do you remember how far you got into it? Um, no, it would have just been a few episodes. Ah, right, okay. Um, I was watching it on the on the TV, and then... And then the kids watch the TV and I didn't want to just watch it on my phone and then it kind of mm-hmm. passed me by I think yeah yeah. you need to get me to get into it <laughs> <laughs> I will actually because uh, I was going through uh, iPlayer the other day and class came up and I was just like oh yeah I'm, uh, I can't yeah so, did you watch it? no 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 I haven't watched it yet okay. but uh, I'm getting a lot more closer <laughs> to it right. so it's like baby steps but I, I think I'm getting there at some point I will watch right will do you want to do you want to do the first episode sometime yeah yeah that'd be good I think, think we okay. should because we've got a, f- a few um, a few slots to film the next few weeks mm-hmm. yeah sure. um, in fact cause talking about television so one of the things is uh, I've been watching uh, episodes of Murder She Wrote because mm. I'm cool like that and um I mean, one of the things that, that gets me is that uh, it's on uh, it's on a television sh- uh, channel which I I've never heard of before. I think it's I think it's called Great TV. Anyway, every episode of Murder She Wrote begins with this warning that it's you know it may not be suitable for younger audiences. And I've gone. It's bloody Murder She Wrote. It's staple viewing for children watching television with their grandmothers. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I messaged you the other day because uh, I was watching one. Uh, I, th- I think it's from series, series seven. Um, it has Daphne Ashbrook in it, right? And um, I mean, it was—I mean, I loved it. It was great, but it was—it was—it uh, was set down in the south, and everyone talks like that. I know that's an absolutely awful accent, but the thing is, a lot of people are putting on that awful accent in the uh, 
in the episode. That's Daphne really Ashbrook. Offensive. Yeah, Daphne Ashbrook doesn't, even though she's supposed to come from there, but she just you know plays it naturally and is actually a lot better. But you know, some of the dialogue is like it's just like my head's clanging like a fire engine. And just going right, okay. Um, but they do have uh, one guy who sounds authentic because he is from the south, and he I've forgotten the actor's name, but but he he's the guy who plays Willard White in Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, the bomb film, and uh, he's in it. In fact, he's the murder victim. Oh, spoilers. Uh, yeah. Well, no, no, I mean, you know, you know someone's going to... Oh, you're the victim, that's kind of yeah, yeah, the yeah. start, though, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you know, someone's going to die in an episode of Murder, She Wrote. But, uh, yeah, so Daphne Ashbrook was in that, and, uh, it was, yeah, she's a good actress. Nice. <clears throat> was she the killer, or can you not reveal... Well, it's 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 an episode from the 1990s. I don't know. It's like I think it's past the point of we're past the threshold. We're yeah, we're past the threshold. It, it was broadcast in 1990. <laughs> um, no, she's not the murderer, but she does attempt to murder somebody. Ooh, yeah. Uh, so she's not the main murderer, but uh, she she. The funny thing is, she tries to murder the person not who actually murders her father, but she doesn't know. That that's it. She doesn't know that. It's only at the end of just going. The person that you tried to kill actually is the person who killed your father. Ah, oh, that's all right. Then you let off, and she gets arrested. So yeah. <laughs> oh, well. happy endings. Happy endings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you been watching anything lately? <clears throat> um, other than episodes of Murder She Wrote and a couple of documentaries on BBC iPlayer. Um, not re- and, and films. So I've I've watched Doctor No recently, and I've just finished watching From Russia with Love. Uh, but other than that, no. How about you? Um, <coughs> I'm not sure about documentaries. Um, we were watching um, declassified UFO files. Ooh. Um, and then I was on my phone getting distracted, and then I look back <coughs> up at the screen. I think, oh, this is getting really good. Um, and it took me a few minutes to realise um, my wife had switched over to a, a true crime documentary <laughs> <laughs> alright okay um, they were talking about a floppy disk and I thought they were talking about floppy aliens or something <laughs> <laughs> right okay um, oh I've also been watching a new show that I found on Netflix I think it just came out in January right I would recommend it. It's called Archive 81. Okay. What's it about? Uh, It's about this guy who... um, He's hired by this firm and he gets put in this house in the middle of nowhere and he has to restore um, camcorder cassette tapes from the 90s. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's piecing he's piecing this story together as he as he uh, kind of looks through the footage, and the story the narrative is split between um, a woman in the footage and him in present day. I don't want to say much more beyond that because I I think a lot of people are kind of talking about the show at the minute, right? Okay. Um, and most people won't have discovered it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I could probably compare it to other shows that are out there, but I don't want to because I don't want to. Um, I don't want to give too many hints as to where the story goes. But it was quite good. No, oh, right, okay. And what's that called again? Archive. 
Archive 81. 81, right, okay. Yeah, on Netflix. Um, I've also finished Star Wars The Book of Boba Fett on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all right. Uh, not, I wouldn't say it's as good as The Mandalorian. Uh, it definitely felt like The Mandalorian Season 2.5, <clears throat> the way the, the amount it crossed over. Have you heard anything about what happened in The Book of Boba Fett? Uh, no, uh, all what I know is that it's a TV series that exists. Um, I know that, um, I know that a lot of, well, I don't know a lot, but I have heard positive things about The Mandalorian. And then, yeah, it's, basically, it's really we, quite good. Yeah, because what, how that's been, just, how I've heard people describe it is that it's, um, a, a simple story just told incredibly well. Yeah, it's, um, Small scale, mm. episodic. Um, it's really good. the The recent Star Wars films kind of put me off Star Wars a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think we'd had a bit too much of it, and um, I don't know. I was I was a bit fed up with it. Um, so I'm glad this has kind of revived my uh, enjoyment of Star Wars. Well, sorry, because um, I know it's a, it's a, I know it's a completely different series, so don't get at me, listeners. Just going, how can you confuse the two? I'm not. It's just it's reminded me. I am continuing to watch Star Trek: The Original Series. I'm still doing. Oh, that. good. Yeah, yeah. Um, any standout stories from that first season or two? The thing is, uh, I think the quality of the f- uh, I think I've watched ten episodes so far, and uh, the quality of the episodes are really good. Um, mm-hmm. some of the titles are weird like I don't understand Like, yeah. th- there's one called The Naked Time yes I don't get where that title comes from mm. um, doesn't George Takei get half naked oh yeah he does that's the one where he goes a bit yeah because they all get catch the virus and yeah. it all releases their uh they're suppressed emotions. I also hate, hate to tell you this, but when you get to the next generation, there's a spiritual sequel to that called The Naked Now. Really? All oh, right, okay. Didn't know that. Uh, something to look forward to. But no, I um, so I would say the, the top three episodes... So I've watched the first 12. And I would say the top three are What a Little Girl's Made Of, mm-hmm. uh, Dagger of the Mind... And the um, Cobamite Maneuver. Ah. Um, but the thing is, I mean, there's very... There's nothing in there that I would... So far, which I would say, you know, that, that stinks. It's just... Um, the the consci- the consciousness of the king... Um, I found a little bit irritating. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an episode called Miri. Yes. Which I find a little bit creepy. Because if I've got the title of the episode right, uh, is that is that the one where um, there's a virus and it's and it's it starts to um, affect you as soon as you reach adolescent? Yes, that's right. Yeah, um, it's a good premise, and it's got a really good atmosphere to the episode and even though it's a, it's clearly that sort of thing of going oh we've got this backlog this bat lot 
um, this this back this back lot. Jesus, this back lot of uh, what are you trying to say? Back lot. Um, we got this back lot of a uh, this episode's keyword um, of a of a 1960s set so we'll just use that for budgetary reasons and it's clearly that's the reason why they use it but I can kind of overcome that because they I mean it's a bit weird because they they get attracted by this uh, this planet because it's it's pretty much identical to earth I was about to get to that, and is that ever explained? No, it's it's never <laughs> no. explained. Nothing's picked up on it. There's just no reason for it. And just going, yeah. oh, that wasn't a thing. Okay, um, but the rest of the episode, I think, is you know, it's sort of like okay, whatever. But nothing's made of that, and the fact that the the, the main location is clearly used for budgetary reasons, I kind of it's it's very easy to overlook that because. You just get engrossed oh, in the story. How could they not question it? <laughs> it's I know, unbelievable. It's just weird. That what? really bugged me. It's yeah, bugged me for years. Why? Why bring oh. that in if you're not going to make it? Anyway, it is what it is. Yeah, but yeah. Bizarre. And you, you know, also in um, Star Trek, how all the aliens seem to be humanoid. Mm. We've got this um, parallel evolution going on. It isn't really questioned much. It's just the way life, the the form life takes. Mm-hmm. And now there's an episode of The Next Generation, I can't remember the title, but there's these ancient aliens who reveal that they did something to make all life look like them. And then essentially, you know, because, okay. And then they've answered one of the biggest existential questions ever. And then they just get on with it and never mention it again. <laughs> It's fine. It's one of those. Well, that was this just... week's adventure. Yeah, <laughs> done. But the thing is that uh, going back to it, the the, the thing that uh, I find a, a little bit creepy about the episode Miri is that um, there's a young girl in it mm-hmm. um, who has a crush on Captain Kirk, which is fine because obviously you know she's a young girl and all the rest of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just the I just find it a little bit creepy how Captain Kirk sort. I can understand why he does it because he needs he needs to use her to um, you know contact the kids and create uh, the antidote to the virus and stuff. But mm-hmm. just the way that he reciprocates the flirting, I find I find a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, um, and I, I kind of watching it going. I like the premise. There's a good atmosphere here, but uh, this doesn't sit right with me. This bit. So that's why I rank that one quite low. But I mean, um, there's a lot of you know watching it. It's just you're just reveling in just the enjoyment of it. There's just something really um, wonderfully positive about Star Trek, uh, which is you know really nice. This this optimistic. I mean, they're encountering dangerous situations, which they have to overcome. But they themselves uh, and what they represent and what they're trying to do. And the crew members, there's just something wonderfully optimistic about it, which is just really engaging and quite refreshing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm enjoying that. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been watching. Oh, I did watch another documentary. Right. That was um, in the trending on Netflix, the Tinder Swindler. I like the title for it rhymes, but what's that one about? Yeah. 
Um, basically, are you aware of Tinder? Uh, it's a, oh, is that a dating, it's a dating app? app? Yep. Yeah. Swipe left, swipe right. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's this this guy who seemingly is a millionaire in the diamond business, mm. and these women are um, swiping whichever way to see they like him, and getting in touch and going on a date, and then kind of getting in a relationship. Mm. Um, and as the relationship goes on. Like maybe a month later, um, when they've got strong feelings for him, and there he starts asking them for money, saying, "Oh, um, because he's in the diamond business and people are out to kill him." So he says, "Well, I can't use any of my cards. Can you just lend me like thirty thousand pound or whatever?" Um, mm. and. And this kind of goes on, and eventually, you know, they just don't get their money back. And um, it turns out this guy comes from nothing, and he's got, he's he's doing this to loads of women, and he, I think they estimated he'd um, swindled about ten million. Bloody hell! From women on Tinder, right? And he had all these relationships, and basically, he'd be turning up with all these flash cars, got all these um, designer clothes. Go flying on jets, going to hotels, take them to restaurants. For each woman he was taking on a date, another woman was paying for it. Right. Um. Eventually, the kind of two of these women kind of hook up, and the, the and then the, the kind of a other the kind of like try and get him caught, and yeah, eventually he does get arrested, but then he's. He's back out after a while, and he's he's still getting it. He's still doing it now. <laughs> he's still doing it. Okay. Yeah. But that that was good. That was like two hours long, and by the end of the documentary, all these women are still paying off their debts. There was one woman; it was um, quarter of a million. Oh bloody hell! Yeah, and he I think he got fifteen months in prison. Is that all? Yeah. Um, one the one of the women, she wanted our revenge. So like, um, she, I think he gave her a check, and of course it bounced. And then like, she was gonna keep up keep up with the act, and she was gonna swindle him. And then uh, he she goes to see him, and she thinks I'm gonna just steal all his designer clothes and sell them. So basically, she goes there, packs up all his clothes, and she's selling them for thousands. Alright, good yeah. for her. Yeah, and then he ends up in a hostel begging for our help and yeah. Alright. It's, it's an interesting watch. So, um onwards with the Ori- Orient Express. Yeah, time to talk about Doctor Who, the reason why we're here. Oh, yep. Right, okay, so Mummy on the Orient Express, uh which I've uh decided on because it's um my favorite Peter Capaldi episode. We we review a uh, previous podcast. We reviewed Rob's favorite uh, Capaldi episode, which was Heaven Sent. Uh, oh yes, uh, damn good episode. Um, so with this one, uh, the Doctor and Clara are on the most beautiful train in history, speeding among the stars of the future. But a deadly creature is stalking the passengers. Once you see the horrifying mummy, you only have sixty six seconds to live. No exceptions. No reprieve. As the Doctor races against the clock, Clara sees him as at his deadliest and most ruthless. ruthless. Uh, 
Will he work out how to defeat the mummy? Yes, of course he does. It's Doctor Who. So anyway, uh, the cast and crew, Peter Capaldi plays the Doctor, Jenna Coleman plays Clara, Samuel Anderson plays Danny. Can't say, bloody awful character. Frank Skinner plays Perkins. Bloody great character. David Bamber plays Captain Quell. John Sessions uh, plays the voice of, provides the voice of Gus, uh, the computer. Daisy Bermond plays Maisie. Janet Henfrey plays Mrs. Pitt, who had previously been in The Curse of Fenric. Christopher Villiers plays Professor Moorhouse. Uh, the story was written by Jamie Matheson and it was directed by Paul Wilmhurst. So, um, before going on to the main review, there's just a couple of things that I want to say which are the negatives. Um, I forgot to mention this uh, when we reviewed um, Heaven Sent, uh, but I was reminded of it, obviously, when I was when I was watching this episode. I had forgotten how awful... Um, the Capaldi version of the Doctor Who theme tune is. It's pretty bad. Yeah, I really don't like it. It's too high-pitched. Title sequence I like. Um, but the theme music, I just... Yeah, you're not a fan of it either, are you, Rob? No, no. Yeah. So just had to mention that. Just... I uh, <laughs> really don't uh. like it. It's just... It's, it's painful to the ears. Uh, the other thing is... Um, is just to provide a little bit of context with where Murray Mummy on the Orient Express falls in. Murray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, one of the things is that it's established uh, during the course of this series is that Clara has fallen in love with... Because uh, uh, Clara's a teacher and she's fallen in love with another teacher who was a former soldier called Danny Pink. And uh, I really don't like his character. Um, there's this whole thing about how Danny doesn't like the Doctor because the way that the Doctor goes on reminds him of uh, how his um, commanding officers behaved. And there's all this thing going on. And I never liked it. I didn't think it was particularly great. Um, but the result of that is Danny doesn't really want Clara hanging around with the Doctor anymore. So there's there's a bit of that going on and that comes into a little bit in this episode. But then the big thing is that it, uh, it follows immediately on from the episode Kill the Moon. Kill the Moon is an episode which a lot of people dump on. A lot of people don't seem to like it. I don't get the hate. I quite like the episode. People seem to have this big problem with Kill the Moon as being... It's just bloody ridiculous because the moon transpires what's their the problem just the egg bit yeah i think people just think it's an idea too far i don't mind it yes it's fantastical it's sort of doctor who goes down a fantasy route but i haven't got a haven't really got a problem with it i think it's fine but people have a problem with it and it's an episode that kind of gets dumped on but during that episode uh there's this uh decision which has to be made which is that because uh, obviously the moon's very important to earth at the very least, in terms of how you know the, the gravitational pull controls the um, uh, the movement of the waves and so on, so if the so if this egg is to hatch, and whatever it is sods off, this could potentially cause major problems for the Earth. Um, so what the Doctor decides to do is that this is a decision that has to be made by humans. So he sods off and basically says, "Clara, you've got to make the decision." And because of that, Clara really doesn't like that. And this is, you know, you had all the stuff with Danny Pink, but this is what really triggers her just going, look, I don't like this. Um, I think I best leave. Uh, 
So this goes into so the reason why I mention this is that it, this goes into the the, the 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 beginning of the episode. The idea is that the Doctor has taken Clara on the Space Orient Express as a as a um, as a positive farewell. They would have this nice sort of holiday experience, say their farewells, and that's that's it. Um, because these are elements of the that series of Doctor Who which I'm not keen on. I just thought I'd mention it, so just because it does play a little bit in uh, into the episode, but not thankfully, actually, not too much. It doesn't dominate proceedings, but I just thought I'd talk about it. Um, but before I go on on to that, uh, was this because I, when I when I chose us to discuss uh, Amy's choice, that was an episode that you kind of go, what? Oh yeah, I kind of what? I've forgotten about that. Uh, did you? Was was this the same, or had did you had you remembered this episode? I had remembered pr- pretty much most of it. I think, it, or at least it, it all came back to me. But it wasn't it wasn't surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I was a bit puzzled about was what was going on from the previous episode. Oh, right, okay. Uh, but you've just summed that up now, so yeah, now <laughs> it makes a bit more sense. <laughs> now it makes a bit more sense. I mean, I suppose that's what that. It's one of the things, you know, it's uh, with... And this isn't just the case of Doctor Who. It, it's um, it's a case with a lot of modern television. You, you don't really have series where you can just dip in and just watch an episode and enjoy it on, entirely on, on its own. It always forms part of an ongoing narrative. Yeah, you certainly couldn't do a, a podcast where you dot around... Uh, different seasons, different episodes, could you? No, it wouldn't make any sense. Serialised drama. <laughs> Next week, we're going to review an episode from the previous season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, I suppose it's a bit of an odd uh, odd approach, but, you know, it's it's what we decided on and uh, it's what we're sticking with, damn it. Um, but anyway, so that was sort of the, the premise of going into the episode, and but actually it doesn't... It, it doesn't really dominate proceedings too much, actually, which uh, which I'm kind of pleased with because, as I said, um, I, I wasn't really keen on those ideas, and I just wish that if Clara was to have a romantic relationship with somebody, then because I, I just think Danny Pink's, Pink's a bit of a dick, really. So at the end of the series, when he dies, I went, "Oh, good," uh, and then he he comes back as a, a Cyberman, and went, "Oh, not so good." But anyway. Uh, we could talk about that some other time um so that's at the very beginning of the episode and then we just basically go into the into the main story which i really like i really like the premise of it um there's something really rather whimsical but not in an irritating way just in in a nice um atmospheric way of just you know you've got the orient express and it's traveling through space because you know why not it is a bit whimsical but it works Uh, and you've got all the, the really nice production values because they've gone into the, you know, let's have a, a 1920s look to everything with with how everyone is dressed and the set designs and everything like that. And it, it's just really nice to look at. It's uh, I think Mummy on, the, Mummy on the Orient Express is very visually appealing. Um, and I think it has a very, you know, we get straight into the setup, which is that you've got this mummy which appears... And the only person who can see it is the person who's about to die. And as soon as they see the mummy, they have 66 seconds. And that then, is scary. Yeah, and it, it, it is actually, you know, it is scary because the person who is affected is the only person who can see the threat that 
that they're in. So they're, they're, and they can't run away from it. You can't run away from it. Their sense of reality, as a result, is completely different every, everyone else. Everyone else is like, what are you talking about? There's, there's nothing there. And you've got this... Um, and I think the, the design and the look of the mummy is really good. Um, uh, you know, it's going back to the you know, the classic universal horror films of the early 30s. Um, but it's it's still it's still effective. And it's slowly, you know, with its arms outstretched and this, the decaying thing wrapped up in bandages, mm. um, slowly coming towards the victim. Um with this sense of, well, as soon as the 66 seconds comes to an end, that's it, they're dead. Uh, And you're straight into the episode. And um, the Doctor tries, you know, is straight into investigating the the whole setup. And one of the things which I I think is quite a neat trick from Jamie Matheson, who, who writes the episode, is... Uh, the doctor needs to find out, you know, the basic information, and it's a it's a self-contained episode within forty-five minutes. So it's um, the information he needs to get. He has to encounter from from the characters, and it just so happens that all these characters that he interacts with are some sort of experts, which can provide him with um, the information on Egyptology uh, and ancient myths, and that there's this story of mummies appearing in. Some experts, though, they never give any input. Uh, yeah, well, that's sort of true. You got all the. Um, you it's, just stood around. Yeah, it's it's really only you only have one, which is Professor Moorehouse, uh, which is the Christopher uh, Villiers character. Um, but the the neat trick that Jamie Matheson pulls is the fact that you've got this figure. We don't know who it is. Um, has wanted this mummy to be investigated so has concocted this uh this gathering of all the necessary experts in one place who was behind it we don't know and i kind of i kind of like that um we'll get on to that later on towards the end of the episode but um the fact that jamie matheson has written the the contrivance that you've got this professor who happens to know all the information in the one place. Well, actually, there's a deliberate reason for that. I think it's quite nice. Uh, it, it works, and it doesn't feel like uh, too much of a uh, too much of a coincidence. But you know, the, the doctor's straight into investigating and getting all the information. What's really nice as well is uh, he had he quickly finds himself an ally who's someone who's really sharp and knows who it is, which is the character Perkins. Played by Frank Skinner. I, wi- I, I wish we had Perkins instead of Nardal. I like Nardal, but if I was given the choice, yeah, I would much prefer Perkins because I just think he's a great character and Frank Skinner plays the part brilliantly well. And it's it's one of those instances because you tend to find that um, comedians um, tend to make very good actors. Very good actors very rarely make good comedians. Um, it always tends to be the other way around. And he does a great job. I love the character of Perkins. And I remember... What what if he was behind it all? That would be a good twist. <laughs> it would. I mean, I kind of like uh, the fact that they, they, they kind of make a joke about it because uh, the Doctor is trying to get the, the captain... Uh, to start investing because at that point two people have died 
uh, and the doctor is trying to get the captain to um, to start the investigation, but the captain's having none of it. So as soon as the doctor leaves the um, the captain's office, Perkins is there, just basically going, "Right, I've got all the manifest, all the uh, activity of what all the uh, passengers are doing, where they come from, and all the rest of it." And the doctor goes, "Thanks, you did that awfully quick." And Perkins does <laughs> does this thing of going, "Yeah, you're right to be suspicious. Maybe I'm the mummy all along." Or maybe I started investigating a lot early, and I just love uh, the doctor's reaction, just going, "Yeah, that's true. Let's just crack on. I like you." Um, and yeah. it's 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 great. It's uh, so they kind of sort of comment on that. I don't. Th- I know what you mean. I don't think I would have liked it as just going. Perkins was the one behind it all because I just <laughs> like, ah, oh, I don't like that because I just like the character of Perkins. I just think he's he's great. And I remember when yeah. the episode was first broadcast, and I still feel the same at the end. I'm disappointed that he decides not to stick around. Because mm. I just think he's a great character. And I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll happen. Uh, because if it did, it, it would have happened during the Capaldi era. But I would yeah, have loved... maybe too long. Yeah, but I would have loved to his char- for his character to come back. Sorry, I'm just eating. No, <laughs> no, it's all right. What are you eating? <laughs> uh, I got some milk tray. Oh, lovely. I'd offer you one, but I can't. <laughs> Thought that counts. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. I went for the orange truffle because no one else likes them. Yeah, orange ones. Yeah, I don't mind orange ones. Don't mind. What's mm. your favourite? Uh, I think the strawberry. But the, yeah. But I, but that- I have... I have memories of that because uh, my great grandfather really liked strawberries and strawberry chocolates. And when I was a kid, me and my great—it was sort of like a joke—but we would always fight over the strawberry chocolates. So I've got, I've got. There's a bit of a fond memory to them as well. That's nice. Yeah, I always think of uh, Roy Castle sitting on the soft (laughs) centres. Yeah. Oh, we need to. We need to watch. uh... Should we just do that soon? Yeah, I think we we need to because. They're they're just great films. They're immensely enjoyable, and it's yeah. you know it's Peter Cushing, yeah, and he, he's always an absolute delight. One of the things I'm going off on a uh, going on a tangent here, but one of the great things is that there was this great running gag uh, with Morecambe and Wise, where uh, Peter Cushing had appeared as a special guest on the Morecambe and Wise show uh, in the late '60s, and then during the '70s he would sometimes pop up with this joke of going, uh, I was never paid for that first appearance. And then Malcolm and Wise trying to diddle him out of paying him and stuff. And it's this constant running gag over over the many years. And then finally, it pays off where um, Malcolm and Wise are playing uh, carol singers. And uh-huh. they knock on a door and uh, and a hand just pops out with a, with a, with a money uh, box as if give money to charity. And they keep on just filling it in. And it keeps on shaking it. And then just as the money box is full, then the door flings open. It's Peter Cushing going, paid at last. And then he just runs off. Uh, the fact that he, you know, the fact he was just willing to do that just for these brief appearances, for this this running gag that went over years, which uh-huh. is, I just think is great. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and he, 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 yeah, famously lived in Winstable. And 
don't know where Winstable is. It's somewhere in England on the coast. I'm just staying silent because I don't know where that is. No, yeah, exactly. But it's just like, <laughs> I just want to visit Winstable and, and, and visit and just visit the... Let's, let's do it. Yeah, just visit Winstable randomly and go to the, the tea shop that he famously went to every day. And just sit and just... Peter Cushing sat here. <laughs> tea, please. O- on this cushion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's like we don't want to we don't want to talk about Mummy on the Orange Express. No, I'm not avoiding it. <laughs> I know we're just going off on wild tangents. That's fine. It's fine. It's the best bits of the podcast, man. Um, so anyway, um, uh, what are your sort of standout moments for the episode? Hmm. Sorry, I was eating again. Um, I I like. I like the terror mm-hmm. of the mummy. Yeah. I also I like those moments where the doctor, with no regard to 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 saving anybody, he's like, "Okay, tell me what you can see." Mm-hmm. It's quite heartless. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like those. So, towards the end of the episode, it's finally revealed that 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 they're all there as as scientists to determine what on earth's going on. Yeah. And uh, it was all a hologram. Hard light holograms. We're, we're not all, not everybody. I mean, not everybody, but, yes. but, but some of them are just sort of like bull cap. Sound corrected. Yes. But um, but yeah, you, you were right earlier because we have this group of scientists, and basically, oh, they're just extras. They don't do anything. Yeah. They just stand around, um, reacting to what's going on, because it's really only Professor Moorehouse. Uh, but he dies, and um. Uh, Perkins they're the only really characters who talk other than the Doctor in, in that bit and the rest are just you got one guy who's clearly they've stuck a wig on this guy to, to make him look a little bit like um, Einstein uh-huh. and I remember you've got uh, there's, a, there's a scene where Perkins has got the uh, the medical scanner in his hand and one of the Doctor's tried to look like she's paying attention sort of like looks at the scanner and just oh, good job to the the extra trying to you know do some business and going yeah the, these other scientists are you know paying attention and, and getting involved but the fact that none of them have any dialogue just sort of stand out and is a little bit funny yeah like what's that purpose <laughs> yeah. yeah we didn't mention the old lady at the beginning yeah because she's the the first victim and she is um trying to remember the name of um the actress janet janet henfrey her character's mrs pitt mm-hmm. and she had played um uh she appeared in the sylvester mccoy story the curse of fenric right uh she plays the the lady who takes the the two girls in ah. uh, who then turn into hemovores and then kill her yeah. <laughs> uh and she plays that, you know, she's sort of, in some respects, playing a sort of similar part, but she does it incredibly well. Um, you know, when the way that she starts to panic when she sees the, the, the mummy and just going, is there a fancy dress? And it's absolutely disgusting. And just going, there's nothing there. And just the way that she delivers the line of just, don't lie to me. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know what it is, just something about the way that she delivers that line. I just absolutely love. Um, <laughs> I know it's really random, but I can't help it. just like the way she delivers that line. Um um so yeah she, she she's great and she's the the first uh, victim in in the episode mm-hmm. um and 
that's how the episode starts. And it's a very strong start. And it certainly sets up the atmosphere. And like I said earlier, the, the threat of it. And it's just like, okay, this is what we're up against. And it's it's really, really strong. And I think it's good. I also like how the Doctor knew there was going to be trouble. Because he's had a phone call. Was it the end of Series 5? When Matt Smith received the phone call? Mummy on the Orient Express? I... Oh, I just thought it was a random. Oh, so there is actually it no, is. Actually... It was it, it was a long running thing. Um, he was in the TARDIS with Amy and Rory, and the phone rang. And, it, and he's like, "What? There's a mummy loose on the Orient Express in space." Ah, oh, right. And that's when there's a point in this story where the Doctor reveals that he was told about this a while ago, but he's kind of put it off. And Clara's annoyed, like, "Oh, you knew." Hmm. So, so that was the thing. Oh, I just thought it was a, a random line. I didn't realise that there were, it was actually... Yeah, a few seasons prior. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. I'm pretty sure it was probably um, the Pandorica Opens at the end of that. When they kind of went off and the, the phone rang in the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, who is behind us? <laughs> Well, that was the thing as well, because it, it's never explained, is it? And it's it's never picked up again. But because uh, I thought that it was going to be explained that it was Missy, but it's not. And I, to be honest, I don't think it was. It could be. Fair enough explanation. But I, I mm. kind of li- I like the ambiguity of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It feels quite short. Mm-hmm. Was it pretty much uneventful, apart from what we've spoke about already? This whole episode. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a very it's a very straightforward story, uh, with a simple, well realized threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that what it is is that that the mummy's actually an old. Um, warlike device it's basically sort of like a malfunctioning soldier um and there's this running myth with the with the legend of it which is that you know if you say this if you say this thing it will stop and no one's been able to work out what it is but of course the doctor is able to work it out oh it's a soldier and then says i surrender and then that's what stops it um you know so we we get that explanation yeah, and the doctor knew he would solve it. Mm-hmm. He's so cocky. Sometimes he just, aye, uh, I don't know. He he was so sure of himself, and he he, he did work it out. Hang on, sorry, I'm just trying to. Uh, yes, you're right. So, in terms of the continuity, following the wedding of Amy Pond and Rory, the eleventh Doctor received a call informing him that an Egyptian goddess was loose on the Orient Express in space, and that was in the Big Bang. Ah, right, yeah. See, all the way back then. Yeah, I had no idea. Is there anything that I've missed? Have I... Have I... Um, um, I don't think so. Uh, no, the Doctor had found the final solution, saluted, mm-hmm. 
and then that was it sorted. Yeah. So I would I would say well hang on I'll hold off because we're going to do some summing up later on. But yeah, I obviously really like the episode and it was nice uh coming back to it and still enjoying it. I still thought it was really good. Uh it wasn't mm-hmm. like you know what I went? We're reviewing Amy's Choice for it as a good episode and then coming to the podcast. I've chosen Amy's Choice and I wish I hadn't. Um, not that it's awful. It's just, it, it didn't really hold up. There were good things about no. it, but there was a lot. It was just like, yeah, it was, it was all right. It was all right. Yeah. The funny thing is, I think there's pro- that's probably the case. I've, I think I'm going to feel with a lot of modern Doctor Who. Because I love the classic series. Um, obviously there are odd exceptions like I think the Dominators is bloody boring and can do without that but on the whole you know I think by and large that the classic series is you know really good and I like it modern Doctor Who there are episodes that I enjoy but I think by and large I don't find it has that much repeat value for me no I guess not Mm. Mm. (laughs) but anyway uh, um, so uh, should we get to listeners' responses? Oh yeah, uh, I've got a list of them here. Um, have you got them? Yeah, yeah, I have. So, um, so for uh, just our social media information before we read our listeners' responses, you can get in contact uh, with us on Twitter at Podcast Bell. That's the best place. You can get in contact us uh, there in general, and we'll respond. We'd love to hear from you. We're also on Instagram at Cloister underscore Bell. And we also have a website where the podcast can be accessed there, but there's also fun games and loads of other nice little bits and pieces. That's cloisterbellpodcast.com. And uh, I've also uh, created, if you log on to the website, I've kind of improved the menus a bit when you log on. And when you log on, it takes you to the Listener's Hub, uh, which has all in one place the latest news, the latest podcasts, um, and little perks and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, it's got, I've got nothing added. That, that's great. Thanks, thinking, Rob. No, what's, what's Rob done this week? <laughs> and uh, it's just meant to be a simple podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I think it's some kind of franchise. Or <laughs> no, it's great. It is. It is a good website, and it is easy to navigate. Around. As I said, there's games and stuff on there, uh, which Rob has spent time making, and you know, there's word searches and stuff, which I've had great fun playing. So you can as well. And as Rob mentioned earlier... We need, we need more games on there. <laughs> Make it happen, Rob. You're slacking. What the hell? Um, and as Rob mentioned earlier, you can support us on Patreon, but you can support us in other ways. You know, the usual like, share, subscribe, you know, spread the word, that type of thing. Uh, that's great as yeah. well. So, yeah. listeners' responses. So, Alex Gibbons said, I think it's one of Peter Capaldi's best episodes. I love all the stuff with Frank Skinner. It's a really good episode and has some great music in it. Oh, I didn't talk about the music. No, we didn't. And I, I totally agree with that. It does have a very good uh, score. And this was back in the day when Murray Gold still did the, the soundtrack. And I think at this point, uh, he was he, you know he was providing very good scores. Because for an awfully long time, his scores were very bombastic and could be quite distracting. Not always, but on occasion. And here, I think it's very, it's very complimentary. The music is really good. Um... BT... BT Flippity Giggit? Yes, thanks, Rob. Uh, he says, Jimmy Matheson knocks it out of the park on his first go, and it's glorious. He clearly got 12 in a way a lot of writers were clearly struggling with all season, and an excellent script combined with Capaldi and, Capo- Capaldi and Coleman's acting is just amazing. 
10 out of 10 episode. Oh. Uh, John South says, Great fun, anachronisms, old school scares, and a wonderful conversation between the Doctor and himself. Yes, I forgot about that. There's a great scene. When was that? That's when the Doctor's in his own cabin. And he's thinking about the situation and going, uh, did, did the people just die from old age? Is there a thing going... You know, he's talking... He's thinking it through mm. uh, out loud. And yes, uh, Capaldi does uh, play that incredibly well. Um, so yeah, sorry. And a wonderful, a wonderful conversation between the Doctor and himself that highlights both Capaldi's brilliance and his appreciation of the classic series. Uh, Ian Branch... Uh, straightforward and simple excellent story great fun yeah uh, Martin Havel says in my opinion oh hi Martin yeah, yes hi Martin uh, he says in my opinion it's the only good episode in series 8 oh yeah well I suppose you would say that as well wouldn't you Liam um, I quite like series 8 mm. I think uh, you know I quite like Deep Breath um, what I, about the Dark Water two parter? Oh, the first episode's really strong. Oh, the, the first episode, yeah. Yeah, the second episode. No, I think I think it's both good. Um, I think the big problem I have is that the whole brigadier thing. But, and I remember at the time feeling it. It was a bit of a damp squib when it was, you know, that the, the Missy has done it as a sort of a birthday present for the Doctor. But actually, having gone back to it, not recently, it was a couple of years back, um, I didn't find it a damn squib. I thought it actually made sense. But then I think that was with hindsight because there's the whole thing between Missy and the Doctor trying to become friends again. Mm-hmm. And that is the Master's or Missy's attempt to you know, try and make the Doctor her, her friend again from her perspective. So I think with hindsight, knowing you know th- what that storyline was about and then those characters developing, it works. So yeah, no, I, I like that episode. I think, funnily enough, at the, I have, I've only seen it since it was broadcast, which was the episode Into the Dalek. And I remember thinking yeah. that was decent at the time, but something tells me if I were to go back to it now, I don't think it... I, I've got a sneaking suspicion I probably not, I won't like it as much. Was that um, where they shrunk really small? Yes. It's like the Fantastic Voyage but going inside a Dalek. Ah. Um, One episode I didn't like was... uh, Is it called Robot of Sherwood? Yeah. Didn't like that. Thought that was crap. And then was... Is is it Series 8 which has the Forest episode? I think so. Yeah. That's not good. Is that the one where the trees stop the solar wind or something? That's the one. Yeah. And then Missy... That's all you need to know. Yeah, that's all it is. And then Missy appears at the end going, hmm, that was interesting. And then we, the audience, go, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't interesting at all. Uh, so, yeah. But I thought I thought there were some good episodes in it. But, um, but obviously, I agree with Martin Havel's... Well, not quite. He says it's the only good episode in Series 8. Yeah. Um, Sparked quite a debate there, Martin. <laughs> controversial I think quality wise it's probably head and, easily head and shoulders over the rest of the episodes but I still think there are good stuff in there but uh, anyway um, Jake says as with many series 8 episodes Clara learns what it's like to be the Doctor 
The emotional toll of having to manipulate situations to save lives can be dehumanising and I think that's why Clara stays with him to stop him from losing who he is. That goes well. LOL. (laughs) And uh, Sonia says... I loved the look of the mummy. Totally agree. Thought it was a great design. I thought the performances were out of the park and I enjoyed that there was still a bit of mystery at the end surrounding the identity of Gus. Great episode. Hmm. Did did we get uh, Christopher Brett Hall? No, I didn't. Sorry, I didn't see that one. Um, Honestly, after the Kill the Moon, I was really considering giving up on watching Doctor Who at all. It was this episode that stopped me from throwing the towel in. Well, this and the one after it. All the same, if it wasn't for this one, I'd likely not be watching it um, at all anymore. Wow, okay. So it was a massive saving grace. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it was, it was this and it was Flatline, which we've reviewed uh, in a previous podcast. And that was it. Is that the next one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Flatline's really good as well. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Mm. So, in terms of conclusions and our own score, over to you, Rob, first. (gasps) (laughs) No, um, it was good. (laughs) Great, okay, yeah. Oh, wait, do I need a conclusion or just a score? Well, yeah, I mean, a summary. Some kind of summary or explanation or to justify. Um,. Yeah, it was good. It had it had the scare factor with the. I think the mummy as a monster uh, was a very good concept. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a nice twist to it, um, being that it was it was this um, this soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, yeah, nice uh, nice visuals that like you were saying mm-hmm. inside the uh, inside the train. Yeah, I mean, so I, I like the story. I like how it's written. I think the script's really good. Uh, totally agree with what a, a lot of uh, our listeners were saying, that the, the acting is, is really, really good. Uh, love the production values. There's just, you know, visually the story looks, uh, is, is very appealing. And I like the atmosphere and the the, uh, the threat of the monster and everything like that. Um, um, and character Perkins is brilliant. Love all that. So yeah, um, so obviously in terms of giving it a, a score or a ranking, I'd say it's good. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Um, we did a poll. Um, how would you rate Mummy on the Orient Express? Eighty-five point seven said good. Jolly good. Yeah, and the extra nine point five average, four point eight bad. Hmm. Yeah. It would have been inter- I would have it would have been interesting to hear the 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 listeners who who thought it was bad. You know, so shall I say that shall I say that next week? Bad explain why. Yeah, cuz justify your <laughs> Yeah, justify it. Uh no, I would just be interested to see why, you know, why uh people thought that the episode didn't work, felt that the episode didn't work for them. Just it would have been interesting. But okay. Mm. <laughs> okay. That's good. Um is that it for this week? Uh, yes, I think that's everything. Ah, so we've got some vague plans for next week. Uh, are we settled on those plans? <laughs> what, what plans are these, Rob? 
Um, well, are we gonna? Uh, you know where the other children are need things? Are we doing that? Oh, I forgot about that. Yes, we're doing that. Yeah. Is that the plan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so so next week we're gonna check out the well revisit rather the 2005 children in need special with david tennant in his first little appearance Mm -hmm. uh and uh we might we might have a guest next week as well if that's all right with you liam yeah i suppose might as well (laughs) um i'll just kind of i'll give him a message and just make sure he's kind of still still up for it Mm -hmm. um but yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, looking, uh, looking, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, hopefully, our our, our guest will uh, will be free because unfortunately, um, this is this is entirely my fault because of uh, problems that have arisen that uh, couldn't be avoided. But uh, it um, it has thrown the schedule out a little bit. So that's that's down to me. But uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So hope, hopefully, our guest will be available. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, oh well, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, it's been cool. Yep. And yep. Uh, take care, everyone, and tune in next week. Bye. Bye. The tide is close to Bell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no.